Welcome back to Demise of the Crown, a story about a college in crisis, the things we do to stay in business, and how publicized faith cannot always be what it seems. Today, we are continuing our investigation into one of the more public forces behind the King's College's most recent financial crisis, Primacore Ventures, and the head honcho behind it. On our ride this week, we're covering the trail of supposed mismanagement, of reportedly unfulfilled promises of possibly shady business that threatened to devour kings. In this episode, we're going to make four stops. We're going to hear about what happens when a desperate college merges with Primacore. Then, a story about kings from a voice we weren't able to squeeze into last episode. An in-depth profile on Primacore's founder and CEO. And finally, a conversation about accountability and public apologies. Before we get started, we just want to remind you that we are doing the best we can to tell you the story in full. But... As is the case with every story, there are decisions we have to make about the things we touch on. If you'd like to know more about the topics and stories that we mentioned in our program today, our sources, like always, are in the show description and linked in the transcript. With that, stand clear of the closing doors, please. Here is episode three. Previously. From the Empire State Tribune, in collaboration with Broadway and Exchange Podcast, I'm Colby McCaskill. I'm Julia Jensen, and this is Demise of the Crown. Well, they've, they've, I mean, they've had financial problems for a while. It's a small school that got started up on a big, big old, uh, in a, you know, I think $100 million, like, diamond mine loan or something. Or I think that was a donation, but, you know, $100 million doesn't go far in a secondary education, post-secondary education. So they're having some money troubles, um, and they ended up partnering with Primacore um, in 2020, I think, during pandemic stuff. They're saying they're suspending academic operations. They're not saying closing, um, but the word suspending academic operations is a very PC way to say we're closing because there is no money. And if there are no academic operations, then there is no school. There's physical campus and, you know, facilities and such, but they can't accommodate students. No, this isn't some student explaining the situation at King's. This is Katie. She's an alum of a Canadian college called Quest University. I first met Katie over a game of Mahjong on the east side of Manhattan. Katie's younger brother is my age, and I was up there for dinner and games. In early March, this past spring, I was up there once again. When I mentioned the name Primacore, explaining what was currently going down at King's, his eyes grew wide and the kitchen became quiet. Katie had recently graduated from Quest University, another college who had a damaging encounter with the investment firm. I got her on the phone the next day. 
like I've gotten, I get emails regularly saying, will you donate? Um, and I'm still a poor student, so I haven't. Um, mm -hmm. But I'm sure some of those were during the time that PrimaCore was involved. And I was honestly less inclined to donate when I knew that there was a big corporation behind it. Cause I thought, Oh, like we're good now. Like I'm not as worried about the, you know, the longevity of the school because now there's this agreement, which I thought was going to fix things. I thought everything was good as far as the alumni knew um, with our updates that everything was a okay. And that we'd had a couple rough patches with the board or whatnot else that everything seemed to be flying smooth, smooth sailing, no, no worries. And then about, like three weeks ago, maybe now we got, there was like one news article posted in the local paper in Squamish, BC, that was like, Quest University has financial troubles. And we were like, okay, like nothing new, no big deal. That's never been like our strong suit as a school. And then like a day later, there's an announcement from the board being like, we are closing at the end of April, 2023. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not pleased about it. It was a real gut punch. They can't accommodate students, so they're currently transferring students who are not graduating this eight, this spring. They all have to figure out new places to go finish their education. So yeah, just as Katie said, Quest University collaborated, merged, partnered, whatever word you want to use, with PrimaCore in 2020. I first heard about Quest University when Paul Glatter of our journalism department reached out to ESC staff to propose writing an op-ed about Peter Chung and his involvement in this whole thing. The article was called we don't talk about Peter Chung, and why we should. In the section of the article called A Cautionary Tale of Quest University, Paul summed up the conversation pretty succinctly. You can go read that. We're also going to expand on that in just a second, including the striking similarities between Quest and Kings. Tell me if you've heard this before. Quest University is not like other colleges. Quote, Quest is unique. Its groundbreaking approach to post-secondary education began as an experiment. Today, Quest University is one of Canada's important institutions of higher learning. Quest is fairly new. It was established in 2007, uh, about, what, 15, 16 years ago? The main guy who founded it was named David Strangway. He was a retired president of University of British Columbia and a well-accomplished geophysicist, having worked for NASA and MIT. One of the main guys who funded the whole thing was named Stuart Blesson. He was behind the $100 million diamond loan comment Katie made earlier. Started up on a big, big old, uh, in a, you know, I think $100 million like diamond mine loan or something. It's called the Academy Mine, according to the Financial Post. Stuart Blesson uh, and his co-discoverer, Chuck Fipke, found it in 1991. None of that is important. What is important is another big funder of Quest, a founder of the university, is a guy named Blake Bromley. Bromley, through his foundation Vancouver, called in some of Quest University's debt in late 2020, meaning that Quest had to, as the Squamish chief, a local newspaper put it, quote, restructure itself to pay off Vancouver and several other creditors. The reason Quest was able to make that payment was because they partnered with, surprise, surprise, PrimaCore Ventures. So, in late 2020, to stave off impending collapse, PrimaCore and Quest struck a deal. PrimaCore would use its capital to pay off Quest's outstanding debts, essentially, quote, buying the school's land and campus and taking over some of its operations. But as Katie told me, PrimaCore supposedly didn't do that well of a job of running their, can you guess, marketing and missions and development. In the official press release for the agreement, PrimaCore was expected to, quote, provide comprehensive services for student recruitment, marketing, fundraising, and other support. Here's Katie again. 
Uh, I don't know all the details, but I know that the recruitment numbers when Primo Corps was involved uh, were uh, mind-blowingly low. Like, usually, Quest University has about 150 to 200 students in its incoming class each fall. And I know that the two years of COVID and Prima Corps, uh, I think the incoming numbers were like 37 and 16 new students. Oh. Like, like not even not even enough to like break break even kind of situation like well well into the red and possibly black but again there's also confounding factors of like it was also now like when we were post covid enough that people could go back into schools and they could do active recruitment so it's kind of hard to disentangle the two but mm -hmm. me personally i feel like there could have been more work done on prima course part but again that's entirely uh subjective from my point of view but from from what, what little i've observed it seems like there was some lack of initiative maybe would be the right term. I asked her what else she would want to know about the situation. What else do I want to know? I would just love to know who decided that, you know, having, I just, I don't know. I'm someone who has always been taught, as I'm sure you know, based on my family, like if you have money, you spend it. If you don't have the money, you don't spend it. Like mm -hmm. I'm still kind of flabbergasted to see how like an institution like a university that is also backed by a corporation that is supposed to be good at doing this was still able to, uh, for lack of more elegant words, uh, shit, the, shit the bed so hard on finances to the point where they literally are going from we're operating to full stop, hmm. like that there was no other measures taken to try and mediate it. And maybe there were and they just haven't told us, but it still seems pretty, pretty unfathomable that that could happen. So that's sure. what my frustration is, is that someone whose job was to be in charge of finances clearly did not do said job because hmm. there's no finances. But the most heartbreaking thing, at least in my opinion, is that this inadequate work of getting applications, on marketing, on bringing in new students, of getting good recruitment numbers, of continuing to sustain the college wasn't faded. Yeah. And then the, okay. the, the saddest part is then I heard that when Quest University got their admissions department kind of back in the game on it, then, you know, they have like 5,000 applications or something for this coming fall, which now they can't you know, they have to risk. Hmm. Um, and I mean, at the end of the day, it, it, you know, not only screwed Quest, also screwed Primacore out of this, uh, this agreement and this, this partnership. So it didn't do anybody yeah. any good, hmm. unfortunately. On February 22nd, 2023, the executive body for Quest University called the Board of Governors decided that they had, quote, no alternative but to make the responsible decision. They opted to suspend academic operations at the end of the semester. And hey, we're going to talk about what a responsible decision means. We're going to talk about whether we think Kings has done that or not. But that talk is for later in episode six. Right now, we're going to stick with this storyline. Primo Corps came across an educational institution in need of funding and partnered. Quest publicly stated the expectation that they would take over the job of some of the college's systems. But, instead, what Quest got was work that wasn't done well, leading not to a, quote, stable path forward, end quote. But closure. What a turn. When we first heard this story, the part that was most confusing was exactly how these systems underperformed. And from Sophia, Sarah, and Callie last episode, we heard a little bit more about it. Before our next stop, I want to introduce you to someone who you've heard from before, but not in full. 
so yeah, I have three boys. The youngest was born in 2016. Um, we're living in New York City, and in April of 2018, I became a sing a full time single father. So um, Kings was immensely supportive during that time. This is Eric. Uh, you heard a little bit from him in episode one. He worked at King's from 2015 to 2022, meaning his time at King's overlapped with the Thornberry administration. We'll talk more about them in episode five. Eric's time at King's also intersected with the presidency of Tim Gibson and interim president Stockwell Day. How I got in contact with Eric, though, was through Sophia. The two had significant overlap during their time at the college. Sophia's a good friend. But let's go back to Eric's story that I interrupted. He had just experienced a family tragedy, and what did Kings do? I remember, you know, the like the day after like that, like that happened. Um, you know, I was at work that day. And of course, like just all this stuff, you know, my life is kind of falling apart inside of me. But the first person that I told outside of my really, like my really, really, really close friend. Um, the first person that I told was Kimberly Thornberry. And um, yeah, like I'll always remember sitting in her office and just telling her like about what happened and how she, you know, just said like, whatever it takes, you know, we will support you. And Kings definitely did. I think this moment is one of the major parts of Eric's story at Kings. It goes to show how this place, for many, hasn't been just a job, but also been a place of support and genuine community. Eric's job at King's was in their digital media department. In 2015, it felt like an upstart. Admissions had been a department, I think, for as long as King's had obviously existed. But marketing communications did not really exist as a department until my colleague, Natalie Nakamura, um, who was hired two weeks before me and I were hired in August of 2015. We moved into this really, really small office in the president's suite. I can't remember the number, but everyone who's had that office since then has had it to themselves. But we shared it, and we also shared it with a student worker as well. So there are three of us crammed in that office. Um, but yeah, like my job was to do digital marketing type stuff. Eric and his team are the masterminds behind the website, behind a bunch of the videos you see on the college's YouTube page. They're the ones that shaped much of the public brand of Kings. Over his time at the school, Eric fell in love with the work, the creative freedom, the caliber of colleagues, the purpose that pervaded every aspect of work there. When I moved to New York and Florida, I was thinking like, oh, you know, we're going to be some of the few Christians up here and we're moving to a dark place. And like, he totally proved us wrong. Um, just every step along the way, you know, we just saw that God is doing so much cool stuff um, that does that he doesn't necessarily stamp his name on. Um, and, you know, Kings, I felt like embodied that. Like, yes, it's a Christian college, but the college is training young people to operate in the real world. Um not to just operate in Christian circles, you know, obviously not to not to be educated or not to live in a bubble, not to work in a bubble. But um, you know, but just to be just to be raised up and taught like through a faith perspective, but also just to understand the real world and to be confident to work in any setting. And I loved that. You know, I still do. Um, so I just really fell I fell hard um for the King's mission. Like, I felt like we were all on board 
um, in line to support this mission. And it was a really cool time. But when Eric's time at King's collided with Primacore, that's the part that we need to talk about the most. Let's see. So that, I think, was April or May of 2021. Um, I think we got called into a Zoom call. And um, yeah, we were just kind of told that this was happening. Um, no, at least for me, um, yeah, like no, no warning or hint of of this partnership coming. Um, and like I had known, like we all had known that Kings was not swimming in cash. Like there's there's no huge endowment there, like ready to to save us or to draw from or whatever. Um, and we also knew the, you know, knew what was happening on the admission side because of, you know, all the stuff that I just talked about, um, like all the challenges that they faced in the face of, of COVID and stuff. But um, yeah, there was definitely no advance warning or, or indicators that all of a sudden we would be, not only would the college be partnering with like this, um, this corporation from Canada we had never heard with, but we are now their employees. Um, so yeah, that, um, I think up until now, you can kind of tell like, how much the King's College means to me in that community and to no longer be employees of their, um, and yeah, yeah, that was kind of a, kind of a gut punch. I mean, nothing that I blamed anyone for, like didn't, I don't think I took it personally or anything like that, but it's still jarring. Yeah. Going it, in, going into the partnership, you know, we were of course told like how amazing of a deal this was going to be. Um, not just for Kings, but also for us personally, um, or for our department, and that no longer were we going to be operating with like the limited budget that we had operated with um, the whole time, but that you know it's like now we have like all these resources to um, to really market the college, to really reach out to students across the country and stuff. Um, we're going to have access to, um, you know, the marketing expertise at, at PrimaCore. And, um, you know, there was talk about flying us out to Vancouver um, or wherever they are in, in Canada, um, you know, flying out, you know, to the home office um, in British Columbia and just like, you know, it's beautiful there and we're going to do, we're going to have meetings and stuff. Um you know, there was talk about having really, really nice swag, um, like making that. And then, of course, that was going to have some wow factor for potential students. Yeah, of course, like none of that came to fruition. And I mean, personally, if, you know, we, we were definitely suspect from, from day one. Um, which, you know, at, you know, which is completely natural. Like, I, I feel like that's, I kept on drawing comparisons to the office and Dunder Mifflin 
and uh, Sabre, I think it was that company that like, like had bought them out yeah. and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it could be, it could be, you know, they could be a very principled, successful company and we would still be suspect because it happens so suddenly. You know, you'd, like, I, I don't think that that something like that could happen. And then I would just, and it would just be like all positive and sunshine, like, great. Like, I now have a new employer that I know nothing about. Um, but they say, like, everything's going to be, you know, even better than it was. What Eric is describing here is an abrupt end to his employment with TKC, an immediate switch to working for a company called Campus Support. It's actually one of PrimaCore's educational consulting arms. And this sudden change had pretty far-reaching implications. It happened pretty quickly. Like our, you know, our whole HR setup changed um, and we were officially PrimaCore employees. Um, the name of the company was Campus Support. Like they were the, the company, I guess, the, the branch of PrimaCore that we worked for. So we were Campus Support employees. As Eric explained it to me, before the Primacore days, the creative license was essentially infinite. Over the years, like we got to try out with, uh, we, you know, we got to make some, some, some 360 virtual reality video because we just wanted to and try it out. And like we had the headsets at admissions fairs and, you know, we got to, we got to do stuff like that. Um, and, you know, we, we made a new website because we felt like the college needed it, but also because we, we wanted to, and, and we could achieve it. But when PrimaCore came in, that dynamic between what was desired and what was pursued shifted. So campus support would create the creative for ads, banners, and things like that, um, and then send it to our team for review and approval. And then it would also get sent to King's, um, you know, folks on the King's College side, since we were no longer on the King's College side for also that review and approval. And that advertising definitely, definitely took off. Um, you know, money was poured into advertising, but it was not something that was on uh, on our plates to work on. No, we, yeah, I, I wouldn't say that we were creating anything. Um, you know, a lot more money was, was definitely like more money than we had ever handled for advertising. Uh, was getting put into the ad campaigns and stuff. Um, and you know, they had, you know, they had like a, a full-on advertising agency uh, managing everything. So, you know, that's like, that's expertise and bandwidth that our small team never had. Eric's role changed. He was the approver rather than creator. And admittedly, it was still a role where in small ways. Eric's love of the college could help shape the branding, but he still felt as though his vision was not one PrimaCore shared. So like those kind of projects, like PrimaCore didn't, like, again, from my experience, PrimaCore did not step in and say, like, you can't work on this. Um, so there wasn't really that much oversight uh, there. And because, like, we owned, like, Kings owned the website, uh, PrimaCore did not you know, they, they didn't step in and try to control branding or language or messaging, at least within the realm in which I operated. But in terms of growth, 
even creative and professional growth, I I just didn't see like if that was I didn't I didn't see the opportunities for that anymore. You know, I had talked about the creative freedom that we had under Kimberly Thornberry. Um, you know, I still felt like we had creative freedom, but it just seemed like what was there was a lot less possible. We also felt like we knew Kings the best, and um, and you know this is a this is a place that that of course we we knew the best and we had personal investment in, and we felt like we know the language, like we know how to speak to the types of students who would come to Kings, and um, you know to have folks who no matter their expertise at their position, I mean, you got to know the place. And, you know, having folks who don't know the place, like running that, yeah, that's, I don't know, it was, it was disconcerting. This was the deal that, that the college signed, and this is the deal that we signed, like as employees. Because um, you know, no one was forcing us to stay. So um, so we knew once we were told, like we knew the situation. Um, but I think if anything, even then we can kind of look back, like thinking back to it, and I'm sure that that my thinking was that what a shame. Eric decided to move back to Florida for a few months after the PrimaCore merger. He officially left campus support and subsequently Kings about a year later in October 2022. Yeah, it's just, it's just really sad to see. And, you know, I was just thinking a lot about the students and about my friends, like who still work there. And, um, you know, just this place that that I invested seven years into, that I feel like invested in me, that had this community, um, and just seeing it go from limping along to crawling to now I picture someone crawling through the desert and just just kind of like giving up there. Um, yeah, it is. it is really sad. At this point, I hope you're wondering who really is behind all this. If PrimaCore is simply the cold, corporate face behind these present, dubious situations, then is there anyone responsible inside PrimaCore? That is a great question. Thanks for asking it. The answer to your question is what we are going to turn to next, a profile on an executive-level individual that was involved in not only the Kings and Quest catastrophes, but much, much more. So we kind of teased it at the end of the last episode, but you just heard about PrimaCore. And we'll be returning to the spring semester at King's next episode. But for Act 3 this week, we need to talk about Peter Chung, CEO of PrimaCore, and one of the main common denominators of the two school closures. So if you do a little Google search on the name Peter Chung, what comes up is an animator who has done some shows and movies like Aeon Flux and Animatrix. 
This is not the guy we're talking about. I bet he's totally fine. The Peter Chung we are speaking of is more of a businessman. He immigrated to the U.S. from South Korea when he was in his early teens. It's actually a little bit of an American dream story. Here's Peter telling it himself. When I immigrated to North America at the age of 14, my father was a student, and my mother worked in a sweatshop making ties. Even at this early age, I realized that life wasn't easy. You have to do what you have to do to make a living. So throughout my teenage years, I did various odd jobs to help my family make ends meet. Here's what one of Peter's friends, Jim, said about Peter's childhood. He came from kind of a rough neighborhood. In, in fact, uh, and Peter was a person who liked to fight. And he got in a lot of trouble. After graduating from UCLA, I worked for various companies for about five years. In 1982, I started computer training schools. In the following years, I started many different businesses, owning part of a local bank, an import-export business, real estate investment, and development. And at the height of my uh, business career, I had 14 companies under me, and it felt like everything I touched became gold. As Peter recounts, disaster struck in the early 1990s. As time passed by, I ran into financial difficulties. In the middle of the storm, I did my best to hold on to my companies. But I lost 13 out of the 14 companies I owned. This is a big part of the story of Kings, because this might be the realest form of foreshadowing I've ever experienced. Those financial difficulties he's mentioning are not the result of some recession or personal life circumstances. Those, dear listeners, were business choices. You just heard him say that in in 1982, 1982, he started a computer computer training training school. school. That computer school was called Wilshire Computer College. I went to my father and I asked him whether he knew anybody who has a school. So he introduced me to his friend who had a music school. And so I rented the one classroom and a small office from him, and I advertised, uh, and I got 10 students. It was a six-month course, and uh, I was teaching two nights a week, Mondays and Wednesdays, and students came four hours a night. But there was a problem. The quote-unquote school wasn't much of a school. The province, a British Columbian newspaper, wrote a story in 2012 about the incident. As they put it, quote, in the final judgment handed down in 1993, it was alleged Chung and his companies had committed over 10,000 violations of state business code, including encouraging students to falsify documents so they could obtain federal loans, making misleading statements about employment opportunities, and lying about the school's accreditation. Unquote. Here, they quote the final judgment. Instruction was inadequate in part because teachers were not available to teach during the full class time their course was represented to require. WCC lacked adequate placement services. Insufficient properly operating equipment was available on which students could practice. And with the possibility of a rare exception, WCC students could not obtain such high-paying jobs after graduation. Peter lost this case. 
meaning that he was on the hook for millions of dollars in compensation. But here's how Peter described the events. We were running into some uh, political pressure from public institutions because our budget was uh, getting very, very big. And a lot of our students were getting financial aid from government also. And so there was a little bit of a friction between public schools and us. I was fighting against it, and I thought I could take them on, take take the government on by myself. At the end of the day, I kind of lost the battle. That's what happened. And uh, so my asset basically dwindled down to 5% of what I used to have. In 1991, he moved his family to Seattle. And then, after the judge made his decision in 1993, Peter started another education business. Meet Dr. Peter Chung, president and CEO of the Emanata Group, a multi-million dollar education-based company. Eventually moving into Canada. Headquartered in Vancouver, British Columbia. From Vancouver, he also started Primacore Ventures. Together, Primacore and Emanata began to build an empire of for-profit colleges. That's the other thing here. Peter is not running college for the sake of education. To him, this is a business opportunity to make money. He brought University West Canada in 2008 and then sold it again in 2015. At the time of that acquisition, another Western Canadian newspaper, The Times Colonist, reported that, quote, the Emanata Group, based in Vancouver, has annual revenues of about $50 million and owns 30 education centers across Canada, including CDI College. One quick story that I think really highlights the business practices of Peter and his Emanata Group is about one of his many educational institutes, Vancouver Career College. Now, Vancouver Career College was founded in 1996, and as anyone can see, it can be shortened to the acronym VCC. Simple, right? Well, no, it can't. Because there is another college started much earlier than Vancouver Career, called Vancouver Community College. Vancouver Community also can go by VCC, and is the way more respected school. Vancouver Community sued Vancouver Career over the use of their acronym. An article by the Times Colonist reads that specifically, Vancouver Community argued that, quote, In May 2009, Vancouver Career College changed its website to vccollege.ca and paid for keywords and internet searches such as VCC and Vancouver Community College. Peter Chung's college initially won the case, but then the decision was overturned on appeal. In an article on the appeal, the Vancouver Sun wrote that one of the judges ordered a permanent injunction against the private college from using VCC and VC College in respect of its internet presence. Imagine operating a for-profit college in the same city, with the same acronym, as a college that has been there for at least 30 years longer than you. Another college that I want to tell you about is CDI College, one of Peter's more publicly distrusted colleges. CDI College, CDI College. CDI. investigating CDI College. CDI College Edmonton operates within the guidelines established by the Alberta Ministry of Employment. Students and experts giving a failing grade. CDI College is really big. That's the first thing you need to know. Big as in widespread. According to their website, CDI has over 20 locations spanning five of Canada's provinces. The other thing you need to know is that it is absolutely infamous for scamming students out of money with little to no return. Much of the media attention for this was stirred by an investigative journalism watchdog TV show aired by CBC, one of Canada's leading news organizations. 
Marketplace, the investigation team, produced a 20-minute piece in which they fact-checked the claims of CDI with student testimonials and third-party accreditation opinions. The consensus was damning. We find hundreds of poor reviews across multiple sites, and many online students tell us their higher ed was a huge letdown. It wasn't organized. It just seemed very chaotic. The subjects are outdated stuff taken out of high schools. The students, we were basically teaching ourselves. Undercover marketplace investigators were given the runaround with accreditation compliance. The admissions counselors were said to be more like scam call centers. And the bad reviews are truly everywhere online. A few years before this investigation, one of CDI's nursing programs was sued over what the plaintiffs described as actions that, quote, have been persistently motivated by economic profit considerations at the expense of the interests of the members of the class. Essentially, inadequate education was not reflected in the tuition price. This place made national headlines about the corruption and bad business practices for the past decade. But, as we have yet to discuss, Peter Chung's reactions and explanations in response to these claims have been far from apologetic. And to dive into that, we have arrived at our fourth and final stop. Now, one of the bigger questions that arises when we start talking about Peter Chung is how much of this is actually his fault, right? Like, these shady businesses could just be bad employees, or bad timing, or hubris, or not malicious sabotage for personal gain. And for this section of the episode, we're going to try to do our best to keep our opinions to ourselves until the end. Here, for you, are the facts before anything else. So, we just highlighted four of the many education-based ventures that Peter Chung has been involved in. And for each of those, he has not accepted responsibility. Not for the poor management, not for lawsuits. The earliest instance we mentioned, Wilshire Computer College, that debacle in the early 1990s. Remember, he was sued in a class action. That judge, for this case, wrote in the final judgment, section 1.1.4, that his practices were found to be, quote, unfair, unlawful, and fraudulent. He was ordered to pay, but he denies that he's actually responsible. As he said in an interview with the province, that Canadian newspaper we mentioned earlier, quote, I never admitted to wrongdoing. To this day, I don't. And then there was Vancouver Career College. The courts eventually decided that Career was culpable for a passing-off violation. According to the official appeal decision, he had indeed committed internet poaching. Judge Saunders argued that the appellant is entitled to a permanent injunction, or, in other words, Vancouver Career must stop using the name, as doing so is violating trademark law. Peter Chung was quoted in the initial decision writing to Vancouver Career President Mr. Dorn. He said that, quote, I would like to assure you that we, at no time, try to present ourselves as Vancouver Community College. However, the appeal court later argued that, as to passing off, the claim is established. Really, the Canadian legal system fact-checked Peter, saying, no, in fact, you are culpable. At essentially the same time, Peter Chung was also head of the Emanata Group which had bought CDI College seven years earlier. As we explored earlier, CDI, according to many former students, does not deliver on its promises. 
But what does CDI claim is happening? Well, CDI argues that it, quote, takes all complaints seriously. It also asserts that while it holds itself to a high level of educational excellence, quote, it is possible that there might be some cases where employees may do something not condoned by the college. Peter Chung, in a statement to the Marketplace Investigation Team, he maintains that, quote, We always strive to prepare our students with industry-relevant training, leading them to excel in the field of their choice after graduation, and says that they are continuously looking for ways to improve. It's important to remember how concurrently all these situations are happening at the same time. A little over two weeks before Marketplace published its investigation findings, Kings was having to right-size and seek alternative funding sources. Two months after the Marketplace investigation into CDI, Quest University was announcing its closure. Oh, and Quest, that other college that closed down after a bio by Primacore Ventures, Peter's company, has he publicly admitted fault? Well, no. Actually, a few days after the Board of Governors released their statement, the Squamish Chief, that local paper, published another article. Reportedly, to alleviate their debt, Quest University allowed Primacore to purchase their land and then lease it back to them. As it turns out, that land has been up for sale since late 2022. You heard that right. Primacore, the company that dropped the ball on some of the systems that Quest needed to continue, is the very same company that is selling off its real estate assets. In their press release, Quest maintained that the university is still planning on existing, no matter where they reside. In their understandably exasperated statement, Quest said that, quote, Primacore is the landowner. Quest University is the tenant. Quest University is still a university whether it resides in the Garibaldi Highlands, down by Oceanfront, or smack in the middle of Brackendale. Uh, which must be some kind of Canadian dig at Brackendale, because I don't get it. So, Quest, a college that is small and unique, finds itself in major debt to one of its founding contributors. Primacore steps in to save Quest from imminent collapse. But then, when Primacore doesn't do a good enough job running the college, they turn around and sell the land. And let's not forget Kings. Colby and I talked with many students, alum, faculty, and staff that had personally experienced the effects of Primacore Ventures. We thought the Peter Chung thing was going to make it somewhat. That was the first time that for most of us we're like, well, this might be a financial model that works. Not, not knowing the details. It's a dream. Like, well, you're going to make more money. You don't need more classroom space. You don't need more seats. We'll do everything online. We'll just buy, you know, these online chalkboards. This will be great, you know? Like, the pitch sounds really good. And I'm going to give you guys millions of dollars in scholarship money. It sounds like, it sounds too good to be true, right? But it's a good, it's a good pitch. It's a good pitch from the guy, you know? Primacore, um, I mean, yeah, I think they're the reason. Honestly, it, it sounds like a South Park episode. Like, like, it sounds like this guy from another country comes in from private equity, offers you the sun and the moon, and then he ends up buying South Park Elementary. Like, it's just... It just sounds like something from the South Park episode. When I, when I was reading it, I was like, you gotta be freaking kidding. I mean, this is a little bit of a spoiler of an upcoming development, but just listen to the student reaction to the news that David Leedy announced in late 2023. Okay, big news. Uh, the 
Primacore separation is official. Uh, it's done. <laughs> As we learned last episode, the dissatisfaction that the King's community experienced as a result of Primacore, as a result of Peter Chung, is complicated. It was on account of the Primacore partnership that Colby and I could even attend King's at all. That's, it's been a repeated pattern of people coming in, giving us money and us hoping that it'll be enough. I mean, that's exactly what Primacore did too. Yeah. They came in, said we have ways to give you, you know, a lot of income and we said, yes, okay, we need it. But also, I don't really blame Kings for partnering with them, because if Kings didn't partner with them, they would have sunk years ago anyway. Before Primacore, we wouldn't have survived. Primacore is the one that saved us. So what's our personal conclusion? Has Peter Chung been personally guilty for malicious mismanagement and profiting off deception? Or does that blame lie with more a multitude of individuals at as many companies, and not with him? We have our own ideas that have been shaped by not only researching this story, but living through it. In my opinion, I think there is great evidence to conclude that Primacore Ventures did not follow through on its commitment to aid Kings in its educational endeavors. And having lived through this past year, having experienced the hurt that accompanied the ambiguity, I personally cannot hold Primacore as innocent. At the same time, I can't know exactly what went on in Peter's head through these past years. It's hard to say if the catastrophic collaboration was lined with malice on his end. So, yes, while Primacore saved Kings from imminent closure in 2021, it ultimately acted as a large contributor to its most recent financial crisis. In my opinion, Peter Chung is a mysterious figure. We never really heard directly from him, I hadn't ever heard his voice, yet somehow he and Primacore seemed to be the reason why we were able to have a school at all for the past several years, and also part of why we probably won't in the years to come. Somewhere behind that corporation and a $40 million mansion lies a man whose influence was the most quiet, yet somehow the most powerful. It's no surprise that several news articles cite him as the potential, or already existing, salvation figure for Kinks. But as we explored in the last episode, that salvation was not without destruction. But no matter our opinions on the situation, we hope that you know, now more than ever, that this situation at King's is not out of nowhere. It comes from desperate decisions with businessmen who have decades of reporting done on their shady practices. A man that found the college when it was at its most vulnerable. And there's one thing that, in my opinion, is the most worrisome part of this story. The King's College has not apologized. This is actually like a thing. Like, we've gone through every community update, every email we've received from the Board of Trustees, not one mention of repentance. In a way, in a very real way, Kings has acted like Peter Chung. No apologies, no remorse, no repentance. And Kings is a professedly Christian school. What are we to do with that? What kind of message does that send? What kind of role model is that? How are we to move on? We want to continue to tell you this inside story about the past year at the King's College, which is why next episode, we're going to return to the past spring semester. It is during that time that ambiguity, possibilities, and hopelessness collided continually, perhaps permanently scarring its reputation. next week on Demise of the Crown.
Thank you for listening to our show. Thank you especially Matthew Peterson, producer of the Broadway and Exchange podcast, and Angelina Espier, our social media coordinator. Miriam Araya is our executive editor. And big thanks to Rob Bruder of Postmillennial Media. This show was produced and edited by me, Colby McCaskill. And me, Julia Jensen. Thank you to all who lended their voice and time for this project. Demise of the Crown is a production of Empire State Tribune and the Broadway and Exchange podcast.